Turn to Hebrews chapter 8, and Hebrews chapter 8, and verse 7. It says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then shall no place have been sought for the second. So what I want to uh, discuss uh, today has to do with the heart of our covenant with God. The heart of that covenant that we have with God and how it works. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place should have been sought for the second one. For finding fault with them, that's where the people, he said, behold, the days come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob or Judah. And it's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, the reason is that they continued not in that covenant. So I regarded them not. For this is the covenant that I will make. So regard not means I didn't hold them in high esteem or place my honor upon those people. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and I will write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not need, they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least unto the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So here he speaks about the reason why uh, God, uh, what was at the heart of it, why God changed the covenant and established the new covenant. What he wanted to accomplish by that or with that covenant in the lives of people. And he changed it because when he took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, uh, and what had happened was, and this is what happens also to us. Uh, the children of Israel cried by reason of bondage. And they prayed unto God, and God came down to deliver them. 
And in delivering them, God took them by the hand to lead them from where they were to the very place that he had promised them. So what he also does for us is that when we pray unto him about anything, he comes and takes us by the hand and says, I will escort you into this new experience that you have asked me to do within your life. Uh, this is the promise you want fulfilled. Let's assume a person wants a promise of multiplication and therefore says, in my business, in my affairs, I want a multiplication here. God answers that prayer, doesn't on the outside just start producing multiplication, but takes you by the hand and says, I will lead you now and guide you into the fulfillment of this very thing that you have asked for. Now the problem was with the children of Israel, he took them by the hand, and when they got into certain places, in other words, he, they said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They were expecting that they would come out and enter into that land. And God said, let me lead you through and show you things. So you understand how I do my things. So you are not in bondage to the blessing when it's given to you, but you understand the root, you know how it is produced, you know how it works. So it took them, and so they were expecting next day, next week, land filled with milk and honey, and then they experienced what it's called the wilderness. And when it got tough in the wilderness, they disconnected from God and stopped following him and started talking about going back to Egypt. Now, that's what they did. Uh, so God looks at us and says, now the reason why they had that problem was that the covenant was written on tables of stones, and they were reading that. But he says with you, or with us, he is going to write it on the fleshly tables of the human heart. So as we begin our journey, he says, listen, I'm taking you somewhere, what you have prayed and asked for. Now you're going to go through things. Because it's important, I teach you things. Uh, there's no point in making you the chairman of a company if you don't understand how that company is built top, bottom. So I don't just want you being big on the outside, small on the inside. Let me show you how I do my things. So he takes you by the hand and says, let's go. And what he says is, when you get to any point, now you will go through things. Some of them will be tough. Some of them will be very tough. But when you get there, depending on the depth of the lesson, I will start writing inside your heart my laws concerning that particular place. I will teach you. It will be engraven upon your heart. Then I move you to the next place. And then I teach you again and write laws. Then move you so that by the time you get there, 
There are series of lessons that you have learned. There are understandings of the laws of life that you have embraced. I've written them in your mind. Your mind, therefore, has been renewed. The capacity, all right, and scope of your thinking there has been expanded. You now understand that you might even be standing, all right, you get to that point, you are standing before emptiness, you are hungry. Uh, the normal way in which you ate was that, you know, you cooked food and all that, but God says that you want to understand there are other options. Uh, so when you get into any place and it's closed, and you get into that place and you experience things and it's closed, you'll be able to provide leadership. When everybody says it has all come to an end, you will have learned laws, your mind will have expanded, you will know things about life, you will begin, all right, to make use of these things that I've taught you in that particular place. Now, the problem we have is that because we are not taught right, really that's what it is, so what happens is when we get into these difficult places that contradict our expectation because we just felt it was magic, we read it in the word of God, we pray, and the next day God just produces it on the outside, then we harden our heart and a root of bitterness begins to come in and unbelief starts getting in and Satan can now begin to plant thoughts and plant ideas on the inside of us because we just did not know that this is the process. So God takes you there and he writes his laws there on your heart. You come to an understanding. He moves you to the next place. You come to an understanding, right? So by the time you get into that experience fully, right, your world have, all right, had a series of lessons there. Uh, your world have and we, 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 we prolong our days in the wilderness when we fail to learn this lesson. When we harden our hearts, when we don't understand that, this is exactly what, all right, God wants to teach us, or this is what he wants to produce on the inside of us. So not only do you have the manifestation on the outside, but you also know the method, which is what he said. He said, I swore in my heart they will not enter into my rest. They erred in their hearts and didn't learn my ways. Which means I wanted to teach them my ways, how I do things, and they simply did not, all right, learn that. All right, so if we look at Hebrews chapter 3 in the light of this, we see that the folks were not faithful. So it tells us from verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him as Moses, was faithful in all his house. For this man is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he that built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Then he goes back again to faithfulness and uses that word. Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things that were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his house, whose house are we? Which means Moses was faithful. And in the scriptures, if you read it in Greek, the word faithful and the word faith, all right, come from the same root Greek word pistis, which means they are interchangeable. So when the Bible says the weightier matters of the law, faith, mercy, and judgment, that word faith there is saying faithfulness, all right? You could also say that faithfulness is the substance of things hoped for, and you can get away with it. 
all right, that you can say through the faithfulness of the elders, they obtained a good report. In other words, they were faithful, which means that they stayed with God, which means that when they got into the difficult places, they didn't just understand the mechanics of faith where we confess, but when they got into difficult places, they didn't turn back. When they got there, they stayed through with God. When things did not appear to be going their way, they didn't stop worshiping him. All right, they didn't stop giving God thanks. Uh, they had that attitude that though he slayed me, yet will I trust him. In other words, that was, all right, the attitude that they had to God. So it says Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. It says, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, all right, and unsure that reason why many Christians fail is they understand faith, but don't practice faithfulness. In other words, the method of faith, confession, they understand it, but faithfulness is where they are failing. So it says, wherefore the Holy Ghost said, today if you will hear his voice, don't forget that, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years, whereof I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always end their heart and have not learned my ways. So I swore that they shall not enter into my rest. Take it lest there be on any of you an evil heart of unbelief that develops in the time of temptation, in the time of provocation. So the Holy Spirit says to us, you hold fast your confidence, so you start out confidently. What's confidence is the confidence we have. We ask anything according to his will. He hears us. We've prayed it. He says, and then we've talked about praise. You mix praise with that. He said, now the journey has begun. Now we might think in our minds, the next day we should get the manifestation. All right, the next day we don't get the manifestation. The next day war breaks out. The situation apparently gets worse. Now, so he's saying that this is the way in which I will lead you. All right, and then I want to show you certain things because there are things that I want to teach you. Now, many Christians have given up and resigned at this very point. In other words, the point where they started, up, started out with confidence, rejoicing, then they got to the point, which is the point where in the Old Testament they did that unto that point. So there's really nothing praiseworthy in doing it, all right, just at the beginning. They get to the point where God says, now the new covenant will kick in here, where you get into difficulties here, then I want to start writing certain laws there. Every level has definite barriers. There are laws there, which means there is a wisdom through which you overcome that particular barrier. Then you move to the next one, the next level has a defined barrier. You learn certain things and then you move to the next one. So a person is building a company, he's believing for 10 times, all right? He gets to the point where the company doubles and then it, it plateaus or stagnates. And God says, listen, he prays, he's rejoicing, God says, he gets to a difficult place there and God says, listen, now I need to teach you another set of laws. There is a way and manner and you will approach things, all right, differently there. In other words, when you come with this new set of laws that I teach you, your staff that are around you, 
will be stirred up by this new thing. In other words, the new laws there will, will, you know, will, I mean, you come to realize this. The reason why many organizations don't grow is based on an emotional attachment between the leadership and the people around, such that even when they know what is right to do, they believe that it might hurt certain people, and because they've invested themselves emotionally in people, sometimes they don't go through, all right, with that particular thing. So it comes like that, which means that, so God begins to show you, okay? And it's, you begin to go from one level to another. Now, many Christians have given up and resigned at this point, which means a point where God wants to write, they say, well, it's not working. So they resign and gave up, right? And many times Christians are active, or they might be passive in terms of external things. But, all right, there is that disappointment that is still lodged inside their heart. This is where most Christians are, based on some crisis where things didn't work out the way they felt it should work out. And so that resentment is there, it's on the inside, all right, which means it's there. And this is what we're seeing in this generation that is exploding. And all unanswered prayers that they have offered up repeatedly has caused that resignation inside their soul. Now, people, what you've got to understand is ultimately fail because they don't understand that temporal setbacks or what we call failure is probably the greatest tool to your success. In other words, the reason why people ultimately fail, what do I mean by that? Right? Everybody has setbacks. But ultimate failure means you give up on the entire thing and you walk away. So somebody starts out in a business there, all right, and, and he tries. It doesn't work. He tries. Half of time, he says, well, you know, I failed in business, gives it up, goes to look for something else to do, right, for the rest of his life. But he had a dream that he was supposed to build some big corporation, and then he comes out with this theory that maybe wasn't meant for me and all of that, and then he goes, all right? And for the rest of his life, deep down, he's not fulfilled because there was a dream and a seed that was right on the inside. And the problem is people just didn't understand that that temporal setback there becomes probably the biggest tool for your success. Why is it so? Because... It is a message that you are getting from God that life is not the way you have imagined it to be. Life is the way it is. In other words, you went in imagining that life is a certain way. And when you began to execute based on your own imagination, reality said, I am not like how you have thought that I am. So the feedback you get, which you call failure, is an indication that, all right, the system of thinking that you have inside, all right, is not in line, right, with reality there. That's all that has happened there, which means that you feel, well, I'm brilliant. You feel that, you know, I have all this unlocked, I have it here, so you go out there, and that's why the greatest key to success, the greatest uh, uh, treasure on this earth is wisdom. The greatest virtue, I believe, is humility, which means the ability to be meek there, to understand and humble yourself, right? Now, once there's no humility, then you say that, well, you know, I did that. I mean, I remember when I started church and all of that. I read, read a book back then, and there was this man of God. He was his name now. I mean, he had the fastest growing church in America. 
And he said, look, let me tell you from my background. He said, you know, his father had a great church. Uh, the day his father went home to be with the Lord, they were burying him. Senators came, he put the name of great senators in America. He, he was politician, used to come. He said he used to see a great leader's position come to the house to take counsel from his father. His father built a great ministry. He also was following in that lineage, went to Bible school, came up, came out top of his class. And then he started church. He felt it was just going to be a piece of cake. All right, 500 in six months, 1,000 in a year will leave this place. First year, second year, third year. He said, all right, here be God. Now, what was that showing him? It was telling him in very clear terms, life is not the way you imagined it. Life is actually the way it is. I also on campus, we had a great campus ministry. We had Bishop Idaosa came, Bishop, we were filling up auditoriums. I came out, I told it to be a walk in the park. All right, which means that when I came out, life isn't exactly the way and manner in which I imagined it. Now, I preach great messages, but the truth is, those messages were only great in my imagination. They weren't great in reality, for if they were great in reality, people would have come to hear them. But in my imagination, after my study, I said, my friend, I have revelation here. And you go out and you share the revelation, all right? Now, a group of people can say, Pastor, you are deep. But the larger populace, they are not listening to what you're saying. But you think, which means there's a difference between the way you think and the way the world is. All right? So an entrepreneur comes and says, I have a great product. You don't know a product is great until you've tested the market. That is great in your imagination doesn't mean people need it. You say, well, I have a new way of sewing trousers. I'm telling you when I put this out, everybody will be coming from left, from right, from center. You put it out, and they walk past you from left, from right, and center, and they walk to go and buy from somebody else you think is inferior. That person is in touch with reality. You are still living your imagination. Now, this is a humbling thing there that people don't want to accept in terms of the learning process. All right? You get married, and you said you heard a voice, and the name of the guy came in fractions. By word of knowledge, fractions. All right? And, you know, God on Monday gave me two letters. On Tuesday, three letters. And I joined everything together. And you felt that and I told you what the person will be wearing the day you see him. And whether or not, you know, you described everything. You saw that person, your heart was beating. Are you following what I'm saying here, my friend? That doesn't mean that when you get married, you ain't going to walk through a lot. You need a lot of forgiveness. That doesn't change the character of that person. Are you following what I'm saying here? So you get in... And the problem is that shock, you understand it? Which means my imagined Mills and Boone uh, movies, even Nollywood concepts, is in your imagination. Now reality is set. Uh, you understand what I'm saying here? Now, so what we call that temporal is feedback telling you that your thoughts are not in alignment with reality. Now, life is not the way you imagined, it is the way it is. And therefore, our ultimate success depends on how we respond, therefore, to what we call failure. How do I respond to it? Now, I know better, all right? Now, if I was going to do it again, then I would know that, listen, if I define my success, if I define it as church growth, then I will go and read to find out all right, what has caused many people's ministries to grow. I would have stumbled on a book and seen a law there that Dr. Yonggi Cho had sales, the largest church in the world, 
He had sales, but one important thing he said about his sales was that he would ask the cell leader and get the data on the prayer points of the people. And from the prayer points of the people, he will know what the needs of his people are. And he said, I never preached a message on Sunday that wasn't addressing what they were praying in the cells. So you begin to see that he was not preaching now from just what he knew. He was preaching, are you following what I'm saying here? In order to do that. So you begin to learn things. A progressive attitude, therefore, towards setbacks, which means you have a healthy attitude towards it. That you tried it, you missed it, it didn't work the way you worked, and then you have that attitude that there's something God wants to teach me, this is not failure, God just wants to show me and write new laws on the inside of my heart, that's all. And then you go there with thanksgiving unto him, and say once we learn these laws, we'll enter into what is called the unforced rhythms of grace. Things will just be happening, and it will be by, all right, the grace of God. So it's a progressive attitude towards setback, all right? A progressive attitude towards setback and failure has historically proven to be a cornerstone for success because it is then and only then you truly begin to learn. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you.